Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Association Leadership Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Association Leadership Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today on the show, we have Sharon Newport with Sharon Newport, LLC. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm excited to uh, learn what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about your practice. How are you serving folks? Well, I am excited to be serving a lot of clients in the association space. Um, Having an association background for about a dozen years, um, I serve folks around change and transformation fundamentally. Um, A particular area of expertise also includes culture, which includes DEI, um, and within that certainly includes strategy. Um, But usually people come to me when they want something to um, some best practices or leadership um, or inspiration to be delivered. And often that becomes the precursor to creating a change process. And so my work really is grounded in um, supporting my clients through an entire change or transformation process, which can look like consulting, facilitation, group and teamwork, individual coaching, uh, et cetera. So um, I'm excited to be doing that in this really unique time and in our lifetime. Now, when people are working with you, are they coming to you typically like for a project or one kind of an issue? And then it kind of over time, it morphs into something a little more foundational? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Usually, um, I sometimes have clients that come to me and they don't know how to name it, but they'll say, um, we're having trouble um, getting the work done. We're having trouble getting along or having effective disagreements. Um, We know strategically what we need to be doing and everyone's really clear on their job, but, and I'm making up a scenario, um, but we're just, we're having trouble as a team being with each other, or we're having trouble being um, effective with our use of time, or we're having trouble figuring out the best way to um, navigate hybrid life, et cetera, et cetera. But usually it's grounded in some bigger things. Those tend to be symptoms of other stuff. And so while part of my expertise is to be able to see the duality of those things, or even sometimes the polarity of those things, um, or maybe the overuse of one to the lack and detriment of the other and needing to have a both and mindset towards things um, that are supportive to the organization getting it done. Um, But the other thing that people really want right now is support around diversity, equity, inclusion work in a way that's not checking the box, that's not um, isolated to one area of the association or the organization, but really baking it in into everything that um, the organization does, not only across staff, but across the board, across what is given to membership, what are all the IT systems, what are all the lenses. And while I don't have the expertise in every single one of those areas, my expertise is supporting their mindset, their thinking, their knowledge and discernment to make good choices and build effective processes and attract the right partners and further down the line around change to be able to make the kind of transformation that is lasting. And that is the difference between change and transformation is that change might be a shift and it might not be forever. It might be to to navigate a new thing, but it might not need to be forever. Transformation is fundamentally changing form so that it never goes back to what it was before. Um, And so my clients often come to me when they don't know how to put their finger on it, but they know it does have something to do with the human component. 
Um, and so I use not only some of the areas that I've named, but I also really use neuroscience and somatic work, which is work around the body and being able to help create uh, awareness and understanding about the language of the body, the language of how neuroscience, um, there's some stuff around neuroscience, I would say dabble on the edges on that, but um, teaches us how to show up better as leaders and use more resources and messages from our bodies and what we're learning from each other and being with each other around that, that can really get at the nonverbal component, as well as the energy in a room, so that we are really better supporting the effective lasting change that we see to create. Now, as catalysts for change, I think associations are uniquely qualified to be the leaders in this area and to really lean into this DEI and this transformation, because if they are doing it from their lens, then their members hopefully will learn from them and they'll, you know, they'll be role modeling the behavior that we all would like. So I think that there's definitely a need and um, it's exciting that there is a desire for the associations to kind of lean into this and be the role models for the others in their industries. Yeah, well said is is the, the role model component is really important. And that also includes the board. Right. And and supporting all leaders to be able to model the way and be in that. But it also changes their knowledge and discernment on how to influence the future of the organization. Um, and so you, you've said it well. And and that is also you know, I think there's often expectation that we just do some things and we get it done and it doesn't work that way. So it really does require the indefinite long-term commitment that we do in steps in order to um, avoid any sort of urgency bias that we might feel, but really um, be willing to step forward because there's a lot of slowing down that has to happen sometimes to really make sure that we are gaining that wisdom rather than biasing action over knowledge. Um, that wise action once does not mean we know how to do it again. <laughs> so we want to make sure we have the knowledge. And is that kind of uh, action bias, I don't think I've ever heard that term before, um, is that something that maybe a younger generation is more comfortable with taking action faster and wanting, expecting change to happen faster because their whole you know, experience in life is something where, you know, when they want something, they get it. If they, you know, information, whether, whatever it is, pretty much everything is instant, you know, you know, next day, everything is fast. You know, that might be true, but I would say in my experience, um, um, action bias or urgency bias. Um, and I would say, you know, the other side of that would be reflection, and slowing down. I think I experience that from all generations. Um, I, I think that when people, I think it's natural that when people decide something needs to change or transform, there's an excitement about that, right? We start to get a glimpse of what that future state could look like. And we're comparing it to where we are. And we go, oh, I want to get there. I want to get there right now. Um, but there is absolutely a journey that must take place to change form. And we often as humans get so excited and go so towards moving towards action and urgency that we can skip steps and not realize that part of the process is being in process and being uncomfortable and, and learning and growing and having reflection time. Otherwise, we are naturally going to miss some of the things that, you know, some of the ingredients that are required to come out with this new um, preferred future state. 
So in any change or transformation work, whether it's DEI related or not, it is a, an ongoing conversation I'm always having with my leaders around that because um, it, it can actually create real unintended consequences. And I, I'd like to fit in whenever there is a change in my own world, in my own life, I like to kind of sit, sit with something for a bit and, mm-hmm. and, and have some patience and try it on mm-hmm. uh, before, you know, maybe knee jerk move to the next thing or, or, you know, a lot of times you want to just see how the story ends. So let's just get to the end and then skip the six steps in between, because I know what the end I want to be, but by not kind of uh, sitting in it and just marinating in it a bit. I think you're right that you do miss out on some of these things that you just might glance over because you don't think it's important, but it could be very important to go to the next step and to kind of earn your way up the ladder and to really earn that change. Absolutely. And, and, and yeah, I, I, I'm curious about the earning that change. And I want to clarify that, um, um, uh, it's a decision a lot of the times to make the change. So sitting in the reflection doesn't create the change, right? We know that you do have to take action and do behavior and all of that good stuff, but you will not necessarily know how to hold it and keep it indefinitely without some of that reflection time. Yeah. So you have to build that in. And and is that kind of a, an aha moment for your clients when you're like telling them, okay, we can get there. But we have to kind of leave these uh, oasises where we just hang a bit. And it may seem like we're not doing anything, (laughs) but believe me, things are happening underneath the surface here. No, that's exactly right. It is a big aha moment because most people don't realize that thing in us that has us moving towards those urgency or action biases. And, um, And frankly, I've I've always had clients appreciate me pointing it out. That's not, that's the aha that's exciting. The hard part is sitting in that. And part of my role is supporting their ability to see what they are gaining as we slow it down. We don't stop. We're still in process, but they want to leap to like five things. And I'm recommending two or three, maybe for example. Um, And as I'm walking through that with them, I'm continuously pointing out the value of our pace. So because part of what I'm also trying to do is literally recalibrate the energy and the velocity that they are accustomed to likely weigh in their muscles um, that supports their ability to help everybody else in their organization. Because I'm working with the leaders, right? And we want everyone else in the organization to attune to that. So that it slows the whole organization down without having to yell, slow down, everybody, right? We want them to attune to this leader who is changing the pace at which we do this work. And the real tough stuff around change and transformation is being willing to look at the things that we did naturally at steps A, B, and C, or one, two, and three, and say, wait a minute, I need to rethink how I want to do A, B, C, and one, two, three to align with these values or these um these ways in which we're going to behave going forward or the ways in which we need to create new outcomes going forward. And that slowing down requires support and requires partners to think through. And, um, and when the organization sees that's how we're going to get through this is slowing down and being willing to go, gosh, I need to build more time for these projects now, right? I need to build more capacity for how I look at the annual conference this year and how we build X, Y, and Z, because we want time because we value this to go look at it from these new lenses. Um, 
And so you're right. And it's the doing that's harder than the mindset. Once I pointed out a few times, they get really excited about it, but it is the learning how to do it that can be um, challenging and exciting, I think, for people at the same time. And isn't that where your background in the neuroscience yeah. uh, comes into play, where the behavioral change is difficult, and then you have to kind of account for some sort of setback or some sort of, you know, period of just, like you said, rest, uh, where where things are kind of percolating. And um, if you don't have those kind of insurance policies that are keeping people on track during those kind of uh, transition periods, then they're, you know, then a bad day turns into a bad week. And then all of a sudden that was, you know, a folder on a shelf somewhere that you used to, you thought about doing. And it, it's important to keep that, you know, to build that into the process or else it's going to be difficult to make that change last. Exactly. And and one of the things neuroscience teaches us and somatic teaches us is how there are specific things that we've learned that neurologically people need to hear, feel, experience in order to um, have capacity for their best selves at work, even if everyone is exhausted. Um, certain aspects around inclusion, relatedness, understanding um, the importance of my role in the context of everything, where I fit around the org chart and how that's important to the strategic plan, et cetera, et cetera. Certainty. You know, the thing with change is that there might be a great deal of uncertainty, but a good leader is always going to find something to be certain about. And sometimes I was that leader in COVID that was like, we don't know if we're going to be in this in-person meeting next month that is going to make or break our budget, right? There was a lot of deep, serious uncertainty, but what we know for sure is that you, I am so proud of how committed you are and how committed we are to each other that we are going to get through this together. You know, you've got to find something that you can really have everyone rally around and ground in that creates some certainty so that I can show up with some assuredness um, around what I'm doing right now, even if what I know tomorrow might change it all. Now, how do you help um, the folks that maybe they got you there, but they're not going to get you to where you want to go? The people that maybe are not the right fit for this future organization, how do you kind of counsel them on um, just that change? You know, the person that was great in the old world may not be the right fit for this new world. Well, I think it's important to center autonomy around those kinds of things. Um, sometimes people know that that's true about themselves, that they're saying, gosh, I don't know that this is for me anymore and giving them the room for that. I would also say that the premise of fitting into an organization needs to change. I think that um, ideally an organization always allows everyone to fit if they want to be there and they have the qualifications to do the role. Um, the premise of fit needs to flip. And um, the notion that you hire for fit needs to ground and center on skills and competencies and not um, some of the other stuff that we sometimes consciously and unconsciously would decide is good for us, which often magically would create homogenous organizations. And um, that can't be the way anymore. Um, so if that person can do the job and they need different accommodations to be able to do that for whatever reason, I think that's a conversation that I'm teaching leaders how to look at a little differently and how to realize that accessibility matters and inclusion matters. And if you want to keep this person, but here's the deal in this new 
COVID world, right? Or this new hybrid work life. Um, we have to look at it differently. And the organization has to decide their values. They have to decide their, you know, based upon their resources. I mean, the organization has the right to do a lot of things, but if they want to explore the new horizon of what will be the best practice, if it's not deemed already, um, we have to be willing to revisit that paradigm. So how do you help them kind of open their mind to maybe a broader uh, team than they had previously? Like a lot of these organizations, they find their next hire by a friend of their current hire or a relative of somebody they know. And uh, they're not looking outside kind of maybe their own version of traditional places. Well said, whatever they deem as their network or traditional places might be very homogenous and might be getting the same thing over and over again. And if they want to diversify, that is going to require them to go beyond what um, they've been doing before and do things differently. Um, when I have, I have absolutely had clients say to me, I mean, those you know, those kinds of folks are just not applying to our job or maybe aren't attracted to our industry and really kind of blaming the fit component once again, rather than saying, perhaps it is on me if I want this organization to look different, to think different, to bring diversity of thought and experience and background and identity to be able to help us innovate faster, um, then I have to go find where they are and bring them to us. It's our job to be attractive to them and to always put that burden on the premise of the quote unquote right candidate is um, I think backwards and antiquated and is not going to get you this outcome that you say you want. And you cannot blame the candidates for not being those things when you've not done the work to go outside of it. What's interesting is that in slowing that down in conversation and in action, we really can support some unconscious bias in thinking and approaches that they did not even know about their own network or their own you know, traditional ways they were going about it and getting them to think differently about going to HBCUs or going to um, other trades or going to, you know, let's look at transferable skills and go find maybe veterans. I mean, it, it, this is not um, reinventing the wheel, but for some and slowing that down and really getting to critically think about that can feel like that. And so I, I have to honor that for them to slow it down enough to not skip the step, give them a chance to process Sometimes there's some emotion around that and sometimes then they're ready to go and we're off to the races and we can go get different kinds of candidates to fill these roles. Um, so, so there's, there's sometimes a little more to it than strategy. Right. And, and if, if they say that they are open to change and if they can look at their board of directors page on their website and see if that reflects their members, <laughs> Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then uh, that should do the or, trick you would think. Or really the other comparison is does our board reflect our members and does the member reflect um, the industry or the population of the area our mission says we serve? So for example, if we serve the United States, does the industry reflect the population diversity of the United States? And does the membership reflect that? And does the board reflect that? And there's often um, different levels of schism across those different metrics. And um, I, I have a client right now that's very deeply committed. They do not feel that their board represents um, 
the industry and the industry doesn't represent the population of the areas that they serve, which in this case is the United States. And so they're committed to not only diversify the industry, but therefore also start with diversifying. They've diversified their staff. They want to diversify their board and volunteer scope. They're doing, they're committed to doing cohort style education around this so that those volunteers are really looking at things differently, looking at their networks differently, um, looking at the premise of mentorship and allyship differently and, um, and bringing succession in differently so that it can start to model and attract people to the association that previously may or may not have been attracted to the industry or the association before. So they're really trying to be a leader in that. And I think that's one of the power of associations is that we have the power to support an industry by being a little bit ahead of it, not always falling behind it and blaming the pace of the industry for what can get done. I don't think that associations will always be able to to live that way anymore. No, I think it's imperative that they are the leader. And I think that the ripple effect is real and that if they are walking the walk, it's a lot harder for those industry members to say that it's impossible if the association that serves them is demonstrating it is possible. That's exactly right. I, I, yes, I think we completely agree. And from the association side, I would say that's part of what makes the work really exciting and, and innovative and different and, um, and being able to create really generative discussions for that industry to explore itself, um, its evolution towards change as well. So any advice for the association leader that, um, let, let me reframe it. Any advice for the young person out there who's considering getting involved in associations, whether it's just they're an industry person and they want to be a member of an association or maybe pivot their career to open themselves up to a career in serving associations? Because I think that that's an opportunity for young people to really um, accelerate their career if they um, if they'd like that. Yeah. So from the premise of becoming a member of an association, I would say whatever industry you're in, go seek out the association or associations that serve that industry and get involved. I would say join, start to dabble in some volunteerism. There's likely some sort of micro volunteerism where you can start to see what it's like to participate in something much greater than yourself, which is what I believe what it's like as a member of an association to work on the association side um, from the volunteer perspective. So uh, without question, don't hesitate, just do it. (laughs) Just do it. You're going to learn a lot about yourself. You're going to probably get more out of it than you'd ever give. And um, you'll learn about your profession and whether you stay in that profession or in that job or not, your association will be able to, that association experience will help you grow in a really, really powerful way that you might not know how to measure until after you've had the opportunity to engage. Um, For those who are interested in, in working in a associations. I, of course, say do that. I I have a testimony for that as well. I've been on both sides. Um, I would also say that what's so interesting about associations and particularly in this, you know, we're all, all of our industries are going through a shift right now. And um, I'm really excited about the leaders who are running the, um, larger societies across the globe right now. They are fantastic global thinkers who are talking and working together about how we can absolutely elevate the industries we serve and the associations that we serve 
to do really important work in this world that this world needs right now, period. And not doing that in isolation, but doing it in community. And that is what associations are built upon, is hearing diverse voices from multiple layers of volunteers who influence Ultimately, the way the association leads that industry to its future, it has a deep grounding and belonging that is possible, not always happening, but possible. And to be part of that is um, from the staff perspective, as well as the volunteer perspective, in my experience and in those that I work around constantly, I pretty much say we all feel, (laughs) I can't speak for everyone, but I'm going to dare Um, It can be life-changing, the kind of power that can happen through um, the community that associations create. Well, Sharon, if somebody wants to learn more about your practice, get a hold of you or somebody on your team, what is the website? My website is SharonNewport.com, S-H-A-R-O-N-N-E-W-P-O-R-T. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work and we appreciate you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Association Leadership Radio. 